Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, and Wanders of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror on my blog, KeithRFoster.com and iHorror.com. Boom, and we're back, baby. I have this, uh, I have my my beer, because we're doing some beeronicity, right, for this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. this, here, here's how the cycle went. So I'm in Trader Joe's on Friday, um, last week, and, and we had recorded, you know, Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever. And, and I'm looking, I'm staring at the peanut butter and jelly beer by Trader Joe's, and I'm like, I know something about this beer, what is it? And then I just let it go. And then I go back and I listen to the audio while I'm editing on Saturday, and there you are, talking about the PB&J beer at Trader Joe's. I'm like, son of a bitch, man, Scott was talking about it, I should have bought one. So um, this Trader Joe's happens to be around where my kid has athletic practice, so I made a vow to go on Monday. Go back on Monday, not there, just not there. And uh, I was, and you had said like this stuff sells out, man. You know, it's it's a it's a commodity. But uh, while I was there, the person I happened to see that Trader Joe's makes a Speculoos cookie butter beer, and I am a fan of their cookie butter. They make a couple chocolate things with like this this cookie butter in it. It's like a sweet peanut butter, basically. It's kind of like peanut butter combined with cookie dough, right? Is is this an actual food? Uh, yeah, man, cookie butter, like you can buy a jar of cookie butter at Trader Joe's and it's it's just a sweeter peanut butter. You can also buy a candy. I thought you meant the company, uh, oh. Speculoos. I was just like, oh, okay, is this a thing they specialize in and now they're dabbling in beer for whatever reason? No, oh, I think, okay. I no, think I, Speculoos is one of those, the... yeah, it's one of those Trader Joe's brands, I think. Oh, okay, because uh, I've I definitely heard of else. cookie butter. Yeah, so. yeah. So, uh, so I saw that there was a cookie butter beer, and so I, I, I'm ringing it up, and the the guy at the counter's like, "Oh, this is good. We sell out of this really fast." And so I ended up buying a second one, and then I think I what texted you a picture of it the next day, like, "Have you you know anything about this?" And you're like, "What is that?" And then uh, yeah. and go ahead, you you pick up you pick up your end of it from there. Yeah. So uh, the the PB and J beer I have been looking for, my buddy recommended it he had sent me over a picture and i've been wanting to go get it but i've just been procrastinating and uh so i ended up after you talked to me about the speculoos uh, cookie butter i was like okay I, I gotta go get that and so i called over to my local trader joe's and uh inquired about that as well as the pb and j the guy got my hopes up though he was like yeah uh we have the pb and j i just saw it the other day but let me go double check to to be sure and he comes back he goes we got the cookie dough or the cookie butter, we don't have the PB and J. So I was I was let down, but it's also <laughs> my fault for uh, just procrastinating on it. It was it's been there. He said he saw it like two days ago. So yeah, um, yeah. But so uh, thanks thanks for your recommendation. I went out and got it, and while I was there, one of the workers let me know that you can just buy one can of beer, like from a four pack or a six pack. I I didn't know that, and uh, so it kind of opened up this whole new. Uh, world to me so I ended up I was going to get three bottles of the cookie butter because I had three different people recommend it and uh, well you said the guy there recommended it and I had two people in the store say how Mm -hmm. good it was so I was going to grab three but then after uh, the revelation that I can just grab you know mix and match or whatever I was like okay you know what if I like the cookie the cookie butter I'll come back for it but at least let me try I ended up getting like six or seven different beers yeah yeah well okay if you go back um okay did you try the cookie butter beer yet not yet did you sip it already i did i did take a sip okay let me 
Let me get a, a I like always like to smell my beers before I intake. Oh, that's pleasant. Wow, that smells like a Christmas morning or something. Yeah, or no night, shit. Christmas no Eve, shit. you know? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's nice. Okay, let's taste it. Excellent podcast audio right now, by the way. Oh, that's great. That's it's fantastic. fucking good, isn't it? <laughs> it is it's very good. good. Yes, uh, I'm gonna have to good. go. I'm gonna have to go pick up a couple more bottles of this. Yeah, yeah. I was just so this at is it about uh, 16 ounces, right? It's like a tall it boy, is six, dude, and it is 9.2. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so we're gonna again, we're gonna have some really quality audio here. Yeah, man, I'm really pleased. <laughs> it's, it's like it's. I mean, it's a it's an ale. But it just has this amazing kind of butter cookie with a, sp- a bu- butter cookie smoothness with like mm-hmm. a spice hit at the end yes. almost. It's really wild. Yeah, it's kind of like a ginger, kind mm-hmm. of like a cinnamon or ginger uh, bite at the end there. Yeah, that is I like fucking that. delicious. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so uh, so what's yeah. the word, man? How's a uh, so I've been meaning I've been meaning to ask, but I was like, you know what? Don't ask him. Wait till Wednesday when we record. Yeah. How's the Kickstarter going? Uh, while mine was going, I had a habit of checking yours right after because I knew you couldn't <laughs> check it at any time of the day. So it was kind of like, ha, ah, you son of a bitch. I'm looking at your Kickstarter and seeing how it's doing. <laughs> I'm a voyeur. You don't even know I'm spying on your Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching your Kickstarter from the closet with the, <laughs> the, the door cracked a little bit. So how's yeah, it going? Man. I have I haven't checked in a few days because I was like, it's oh, let, let me let me let me have him tell me about it. Yeah. Okay. So it's going well, and uh, and that brings up a, a thing here that that this is going to air on I think March fifteenth, right? Monday, March fifteenth. That is the Isn't last that your, day of the uh, Kickstarter. Last day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are listening to this and you haven't backed the Kickstarter yet, and you want to, and it is before I guess what eleven a.m. Pacific slash two p.m. East Coast america time then go ahead head on over there um it's it's still got a few minutes or a few hours left so that said as we record this it's at uh 360 funded so i'm i'm really excited i'm really right thrilled. on man and oh, yeah, yeah so i mean that i think the the technical halfway point is maybe a couple hours from when we stop recording tonight and Uh-oh. uh man it's 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 great so you know again a bunch of wonderful things have happened i i am checking it a little bit more scott i'm kind of up to four i mean to your point i don't see the need to like flog myself with this especially mm-hmm. now that it's funded you know it's all kind of gravy and and it's all joy so if i check it a few times i don't think i'm really going to get stressed um that that it hasn't necessarily you know moved a little bit i mean we are kind of in the in the dead air middle of kickstarters which which happens a lot i think you know no matter how long your kickstarter is unless it's like five days you're gonna have a dead air middle and that's just the way it works and Mm -hmm. um so yeah no it's good um I'll, i'll say this about kickstarters Here's what I forgot about Kickstarters that this Kickstarter reminded me of. Basically, if you're doing one, fuck your plans, right? Because I don't know about you, Scott, but for me, you know, I can have all the scripted plans in the world. Like on day four, I'm going to do this. On day five, I'm going to do this. On day 11, I'm going to do this. By the time you get to day three, you realize that those were very interesting ideas, but you basically shot through about 12 to 14 days worth of ideas in three. And... Now you have to think on your feet, 
And so, um, so it's been a lot of that. I actually, I actually did a Facebook ad for a few dollars and I, I actually, I think it worked. Um, I also worked with Mike and Mike wrote a press release for it real quick and we were able to ship that off. So I think it's got some mentions out there. Of course, it's, it's got, um, some kind of prime real estate, uh, perch right now because of the project we love thing. So, uh, so yeah. And then I got a few more ideas along the way that, uh, that anybody who's, who's listening to this now will be able to see the fruits of, right. Uh, I just introduced the single issue comics tier. So as an add on, you can get the set of four single issues and, uh, and, and get them, get them pressed. Like, you know, we all grew up on single issues, I think. So there's, there's, yeah. I love single issues. You love single issues. And, um, and, and people have done pretty well on them for, for the first couple of days too. So no, man, it's, it's all gravy. Um, awesome. to that point, how was, how'd yours, how'd yours end up, man? It ended really well. Um, I I'll say that the second half of the Kickstarter just did, it did so it outperformed the first half which for me, I would say is a rare occurrence. So usually my Kickstarters start off pretty hot the first week, week and a half. And then, like you said, you have that dead period in the middle. So usually the second and the third week are very slow. And then it'll pick up uh, steam again in the last week. So mine had just a weird, really weird thing where... Um, you know, it got me to the home stretch right away. I, it got funded in five hours. Uh, I think yours got funded in five hours as well, right? Man, magic! That I, I I'd like to thank the Making Comics podcast listeners for that. Boom. That's clearly That's... the that, and and I'm I do know some Making Comics podcast listeners who uh, who pledged. So thank you, thank yeah, you for that. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, it got funded the first day in five hours. So any kind of stress that comes with it, uh, as far as that goes, was out the window. But then it, there was just like a really slow period um, for whatever reason. It kind of just plateaued after the the first day, the second day. It kind of just held steady. And then, I don't know, man, the, the end of the second week to the beginning of the third week um, just took off. And yeah. it, it, it kind of like more than doubled uh, right in the middle there, which, which never happens because the middle's like, like you said, it's usually the dead time. And, and that's yeah. what I experienced with all my previous Kickstarters. So, uh, I was kind of like, Whoa, what's, what's happening? And, yeah. um, yeah, just got, got more backers and, and, uh, it, it ended pretty strong. You know, I, I got over, I wanted 300, you know, as the bare minimum. So like we've talked about on previous episodes for, for me, 300 is a short print run of the single issue. And, yeah. and that's what I can get done with that. And, uh, so to get up to like, I think I got up to eight, 800 and something in the first couple of days and it stayed there. So like at that point it's like, okay, my colorist is almost completely paid for and the printing is, is paid for. And then, uh, yeah, when it, when it doubled, I was like, right on. So like now, now, you know, now we're cooking with grease here. Like there's, yeah. there's something going on and, um, uh, you know, it ended super pleasant, ended strong. And, um, you know, I didn't want to kill myself at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're here making yeah. comics podcast did not have that's to end right. it like episode 12. So, yeah. So Good that's for something us. for, uh, you know, for, for you comic creators out there, if you find you're ever struggling with what you're doing, it happens to the best of us, you know, and, and that's something I've heard in, in podcasts and interviews with world famous comic creators. Like there's this constant struggle of like imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing? Do I know what I'm doing here? Yeah. And uh, you know, if you're on the indies, you you probably feel that same way, unless you're completely delusional and you think you're the best. Um, which which is which is, which is another kind of problem. 
Right, right. Like it, it, it's, it's either the best problem you've ever had or the worst problem you've ever had. Like <laughs> you're just putting out nonsense that no one wants, um, but you think you're the shit and you just don't get it. <laughs> or uh, uh, you're doing really good work and it's just, hey, comic, the comics market is kind of flooded. You know, if you think about it, there's just so many different avenues to get your comic book out and into people's hands that uh, it's like TV shows. Like, there's so many good TV shows on. It's constantly like, what are you watching? Oh, I've never even heard of that. I'm watching this. Yeah. I'm watching that. So yeah. uh, it's just a matter of getting your product out there enough for people to discover it. And, um, you know, and that's what happened on the second part of the Kickstarter. Um, it, it found its legs and uh, ended great. And uh, I, was, I was very happy with it. Uh, something that I'll reveal that I was talking to Keith off the air. I, I was going to do it and not really bring it up on the pod was if the Kickstarter underperformed, I was thinking about doing an Indiegogo, which mm. is a completely different audience. It, it just, that's my opinion. Like as someone that is a Kickstarter backer and creator, I don't ever go on Indiegogo like ever. So yeah. I'm pretty sure that's, that's the same case for a lot of people. I'm not saying all people. And uh, so I was like, you know, what the heck? I, I've never dipped my my toe into that pool. And I was going to give it a go. I was going to market a little differently. Um, this one, like we've documented throughout this podcast history, I've been doing the Drawtober turned fully formed comic. And that might have felt like too much of a gimmick uh, to people. You know, it's just like, oh, it's not a real comic. It's like the guy's Drawtober project that was... It's like, no, the, the whole intention the whole time was to make this comic book. And, and it just so happened, like, I did it in the constraints of the month of October. It's like, you got, you know, every day of October to get this done, and you can't have one day off. And yeah. uh, so so if there was a gimmick, that was the gimmick, was forcing me to work um, on a daily basis and get the product done. So, exactly. uh, but Hey, it ended strong and, and, uh, you know, no reason to go that route quite yet. It's something I'm still going back and forth with in my mind. Not, not right away, obviously, but I do want to, uh, attempt something else. Like I want to kind of go, you know, second shift, like on Indiegogo, just, you know, second shift issues one through 11. Um, I'm all almost halfway. No, I, I am halfway done with, uh, issue 10. So I'm thinking maybe I can do that closer to the finish of that and just kind of have a different, uh, you know, fan base, check it out and, and see how it does. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you've kind of put that thought in my head, too. But uh, but, you know, again, that's that's another thought for another day. Maybe that's something if I was going to do that, I'd probably do it as kind of like a, a plug in between, you know, Kadoja Volume 3 and Kadoja Volume 4, or between Kadoja Volume 3 and what I hope the next comic on the way is, you know, those those type of things. Whether it's three protectors or whether it's animals, I don't know. Uh, kind of mm -hmm. kind of depends which one goes to the finish line first. But yeah, man, I think that's great, you know. So again, by the by the time this airs, yours will have been long over and mine will be ending. So, you know, that's that's clearly why we're celebrating with with some Speculoos cookie butter beer. And uh, and yeah, man. So so congrats. And that and, uh, that yeah. and beer is just delicious. Like I love yeah, beer. This, this beer is <laughs> yeah. This this beer is is quite good. So um, yeah. so I wanted to talk about the first thing that I did this week. And and what I tried to do is I'm trying to focus a little bit more on specific things. And this first one is a bit you know a bit peripheral, but still relevant. And I, I mentioned to you in a text that I wanted to talk about it, which is. Um, it's it will have aged pretty well by the time um, anybody here listens and and hasn't checked it out. But I wrote a an article on iHorror.com for Marvel Comics in the '90s, Marvel Horror Comics in the '90s, and this is it's a great example of how sometimes 
the best, what you think is a fantastic idea for an article needs to, you, like, you need to go back and kind of re- remember the books. Because at the time, I went into this thinking, you know, Marvel put out some pretty good comics in the 90s that were kind of the answer to the 80, the late 80s, early 90s horror craze. And for, again, I, I believe that I'm remembering this all correctly, is that Sandman came out, I believe, in the late 80s, I think late uh, 88. You know, that just really exploded. I mean, it's it's one of the masterworks of comic to me. I mean, I, I put Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, and Sandman there. That is my, my magic three, I guess. Um, and, and so Sandman came out and it blew everyone away. And then shortly after that, or somewhere around then, I think Hellblazer may have been in uh, character, but really the Hellblazer thing launched and then Vertigo launched and then Marvel took notice and they tried to answer with some of their stuff, right? So they answered with... Uh, Rise of the Midnight Suns, which was a huge, a big crossover involving a, a couple comics and the Ghost Rider titles. And they also uh, launched Terror Incorporated. And they also brought back um, Damon Hellstorm or Hellstrom. The problem is in this series, Hellstorm, he switches back and forth from Hellstrom to Hellstorm. It's like a conscious mm. decision and you just okay. end up getting lost in it. But uh, so I'm, I'm going through all this pretty quick. This just the backstory, because I had an idea that I could do these things and find some pretty nifty things in the dollar bins. But then I read them and um, and Terror Incorporated is schlocky, but fun. So Terror Incorporated got like a slight thumbs up from me. Darkhold okay. got a got a you know big old four thumbs down to quote to quote Dave Chappelle. Um, <laughs> it was or Rick, Dave Chappelle as Rick James as Rick James. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Darkhold was just a mess, and I don't know if if this is your experience, Scott. I I cut this line from the article, but what I mentioned is anytime your guest appearance characters are doing a lot of heavy lifting, that's probably telling you something about your book. You know, you right. you couldn't go a couple episodes. It was like, here's Doctor Strange and here's Sabretooth. And it's like, what the fuck is Sabretooth doing in Darkhold? No, yeah, that's there's no way that should be happening. Exactly. And and that was bad. And then the most interesting one, I think, was Hellstorm, because the first 11 issues, again, I didn't really like them. They were they were kind of the worst sort of bad. They were like 70s comics with a with an attempted 90s edge. And they were mm. way too derivative of Sandman. Okay. Oh, and uh, real quick for the Sandman, you're you're pretty close to dead on there. Um, I, I looked it up, and the wiki says that the first issue uh, debuted January 1989. So I believe you Ooh. said late '88. So look there at you. There we go. Boom. Uh, all Boom. the way, all the way to March uh, 1996. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so so really interesting. I I I I I almost got both showcases, but oh no, because I underbid. So yeah, I, I would have. I would have gotten yeah. both showcases there. Nailed it. Um, but then what happened on Hellstorm is they tried out a relatively unknown at the time writer named Warren Ellis, and Warren Ellis carried Hellstorm home. I don't think it was enough to to lift it past issue twenty one. He wrote about I guess uh, ten issues, but those issues are cool. And then he followed that up with a, a four-issue miniseries called Druid that was also really good. It still has a few two similarities to Sandman, but um, but it was good, and 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 it, it still holds up pretty well. And I thought that was pretty interesting, you know, because again, the point being, I went into this with 
this preconceived notion that all these things would be fun. And it turned out out of three books, I probably had about half of one that was actually good. And then one was sort of tolerable and the other stuff was just bad. Oh, okay. Oh, speaking of uh, Warren Ellis, I took a trip to the comic store and I was, uh, they, uh, this one shop in downtown San Diego is called Now or Never. Uh, until the end of March. So if you listen to this and you live in San Diego, you can go there. They have $2 bins, but until the end of March, they're $1. They're 50% mm -hmm. off. And uh, I found some Warren Ellis books that I had never heard of. And I, I, I picked those up because they were only a buck. Uh, it's called Black Summer. Mm -hmm. And they're by uh, Avatar Press. Or Avatar, whatever. I, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's press. So uh, the art looks interesting. And um, uh, so I, I picked those up. So nice uh, hopefully nice. they'll be good yeah only a nice. buck you can't beat it and found an issue zero and an issue one i said yeah why not yeah 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 so so what were you doing this week aside from the uh the, the kickstarter wrapping up was there anything else going on uh yeah so so the kickstarter wrapping up was um uh it's it's kind of uh it's i don't know if this is right to say it's like the footnote of of the week because there's not much for me to be uh, doing at, at the moment. Um, Eddie, Eddie Nunez is going to be doing the Kickstarter exclusive cover. And so he's either in the middle of moving or finishing his move. And then he has some Kickstarter rewards that he needs to wrap up. And then he can get to my cover. So we're looking at like a two-month um, lull as far as that goes. So okay. I won't be able to ship anything out to anyone uh it just doesn't make financially when you're doing indies it just doesn't make sense for me to go like okay i can get the regular edition printed and shipped to me and then start mailing those out along with the other rewards until eddie's cover comes in have those printed and have those mailed to me so um i when doing the kickstarter it just made sense for me to write okay these will be delivered in july and because that's when I estimate Eddie having the cover done, sent to me, printed, and uh, everything shipped over. Yeah. So uh, everything got tagged with July. And so I, I will be doing the PDF for the regular edition. I'll end up doing the the um, the backer surveys. and Because I have a tier where you get your name in the back of the book. Um, I think it's the $25 tier. So if you back $25 or more, you get your name in the back of the book. And uh, so I'll have to do the surveys to collect all those names, get them in the back of the book, um, have uh, Tristan from the Accidental Aliens create the PDF, uh, digital and proof, send those over to me, send the digital out to all the Kickstarter backers, because I did have a digital only tier. Mm -hmm. And th I believe that was to be delivered in June, uh, May or June. So they'll get that well well before that date. And uh, so I'll get I'll get the things moving that I can get moving. Uh, but beyond that, it's kind of like, you know, sitting on my thumb until that cover comes in. So, but everyone's yeah. aware and, and, um, it's, it's fine. Like there's no issues there because it is labeled for July. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so used to that turnaround though. Like when I do Kickstarters, it's usually, you'll get the book within two months of the Kickstarter ending because, um, the studio, we actually used to coordinate the Kickstarters to align with free comic book day. So mm -hmm. we would have the physical copies in hand by um, the first, the first uh, is it Wednesday in in um, May, right? Is that right? Free comic yeah, book day. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So we would do March to April, and then we'd collect the surveys, and send the PDF out, uh, PDF out, 
have the books printed and sent back to us well before or a week or two before March uh, or the, the May, the May free comic book day deadline and just have them ready to go. So that was kind of our routine every year. Um, yeah. Now we're not relying on the anthologies anymore. We're doing two different separate titles and those can be done basically at any point um, in the year. So I'm kind of taking over um, that, that, that shift, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, March. Um, I just went a little early because of the Drawtober thing. It's like, yeah. it just seemed weird waiting too long since October. Mm -hmm. uh, hindsight, I should have waited, but you know, whatever, it's fine. Um, so, so yeah, so that's all the Kickstarter stuff. There's a lot going on there and, um, yeah, well uh, actually but, I want to stop you right there real yeah, quick because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you're used to a quick turnaround with Kickstarter. And in my case, you know, my Kickstarter is going to be done with done with the campaign by the 15th um i put september as my as my ship date now i hope to beat that but i also still have some stuff to do you know and and, and i think i'm just being incredibly conservative with that because will should have the pencils and inks done by the end of this month and mm -hmm. i believe um eric grissom the guy who's doing the lettering for the fourth issue will probably um we were just going back and forth on it and he's uh he's thinking you know late march mid-april so that's good i'll have all the content by then but that'll give me plenty yeah. of time to do some of this other stuff so again i'd rather just have a whole lot of runway ahead of me and beat it and plus i'm also going to have to coordinate the plan is to coordinate these the printing of these kickstarter books with the printing of the diamond release books and so what mm -hmm. i'm probably going to do with those is um you know it's it's early march now i'm going to go ahead and submit those uh in a month to, so in beginning of April to be in the June previews for product shipping in August. And then that would allow me to get all the books in in August and turn them all around and go from there. So the date's probably yeah. going to be the date, maybe mainly because I have to like consolidate all the stuff so I can get a better printing price. But, you know, the, the point of both of these things, I think, is that, you know, don't underestimate how much planning goes into um, anybody. You know, I mean... It, any indie creator out there listening knows this, but you know you're you're going to get a lesson in logistics no matter what, and uh, and all 100%. you can do is just keep on keep on cranking with lo the logistics, make the notes, understand the lead times, and and plan accordingly. Yeah, honestly, I think your window is a little tighter than I would even care for. I would probably have pushed me personally because I'm a bit of a spaz when it comes to this. Um, I would have pushed that even back to December because there's you know uh. Overpromising and under delivering, under delivering is way worse than, you know, uh, uh, the opposite. So, like, if you said September and then you really have it out in December, it's just like there's going to be a couple of people like, hey, man, that guy told me September. So yeah. I always like to err on the side of caution. Um, and uh, so even with uh, that said, I usually have everything done before I even launch the Kickstarters. This is a personal preference. I think we mm -hmm. might have talked about this on previous issue, uh, episodes. Yeah. Is, um, you know, backing Kickstarters where I didn't receive the book when I was supposed to, uh, based on their, their estimates on time. Mm -hmm. And so I always uh, overestimate on the delivery window. So I'll, you know, yeah. I'll say, like, for instance, this one, this is like, I said July, but everything's done besides Eddie's cover. But um, yeah. and, and I always make sure to put that in the um, risks and re, uh, risks and rewards, I guess. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so I always say, hey, th the risk is very low because the art is all done. So for me, 
I don't I don't do a Kickstarter until the art is complete. Uh, you have a lot of moving parts and you have a lot of reliable artists, so it's 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 every creator's level of comfort. So you're comfortable with your people. So there's nothing wrong with doing it the way you're doing it. Yeah. Um, I just me personally, it's like okay, I won't even do this thing until the art's completely done and no, the I coloring, mean. the coloring. Um, I, I trust my colorist so much. So it's like the colors could be halfway done and then I would, then I would get it going. But honestly, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable and nothing to do with him. It's all in my personal uh, yeah. level of comfort. It's like, I wouldn't even do the Kickstarter unless the colors are half done. No, and, that makes uh, sense. But I mean, in, in my case, it's still a pretty conservative date because even if oh, that's even good, if the book, if, if, if the book isn't necessary, because the, what this tells me is issue four will be done by roughly mid April. I'll okay. then need to take a little bit of time and, and either work with Eric or, or do something. We're not sure where he's going to be on, on re-lettering issue one so the lettering fits with issue four. So let's say okay. that's done by May 1st. Um, I then, you know, then I have a month to basically assemble stuff, do whatever I need to, and just be really ready for when the book hits Diamond, um, for when the book hits retailers in the month of June. And then I'll spend the month of June promoting the regular cover release of it. And then um, generally Diamond is going to give you your results by the beginning of the next month. So on roughly July 1st, I'll have Diamond's numbers. I'll have all my numbers. And then I'll be ready to basically print it. And I will set this up where it gets printed pretty fast. So that okay, would allow yeah, me to, you know, again, if, if I'm if I'm putting an order through to the printer on maybe July 10th, July 15th, I'm going to get those books end of July. You know, so anyway, there there is enough slack time in there where I feel pretty good about it. Um, and, and well, there's enough lead time in there where I feel good about it and enough slack time where if anything goes wrong, I don't have to stress about it. And to your yeah, point, you sound like I'm, I'm you dealing, got a. Yeah, two I'm dealing with professionals there. too, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's you great. got a you got a two month buffer there where you'll be okay. So, yeah. so yeah, that that is pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, that was my that was going to be one of my questions. Is I and I've worked with your printer before, mm-hmm. so I was curious. I, I but I haven't worked with them, and I think over a year. So I was like, how fast will they get that over to you? About and, two and they're pretty. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think. The longest they took with me is three. Yeah. And you, uh, you can man, pay to jump was... the queue. Yeah. You can pay to jump the queue mm, okay. uh, if, if you really want to. But my whenever I ask them for the, anything, I'm always like, they're like, when do you want it? And I'm like, as soon as I can get it without having to pay extra. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> that's basically it. So, yeah, that's um, the so perfect yeah. combination. <laughs> yeah. So what else? You, you said you were going to do some stuff in addition to the that you did some stuff this week in addition to the Kickstarter, right? Yeah, you know what's funny is I was just like, oh, this was the footnote on the weekend, and I actually had a lot to say about the Kickstarter, which is funny. Yeah. Um, and the other stuff now, in hindsight, isn't as much information. I've just been, uh, I do have a couple more commissions or, or freelance work. The monthly freelance work is building back up, so I'm going to have to tackle uh, tackle that. One of my clients contacted me yesterday. I did tell him I'm going to have a couple of weeks where I'm just working on my stuff, and unfortunately, those two weeks flew by. And uh, I had another commission from a longtime client, and I did the layouts. He got back to me right away, and I have not touched it in probably over a week. Just because I've been in such a flow with my interiors, I was just like, you know what, I I'm I'm doing me right now. Yeah. So uh, I just I just stayed on the interiors, you know. And and something I talked about to you and the people listening at home. Sometimes as an artist, you don't feel like working on backgrounds. And then so the slack method is really important for those times where you can just continue moving forward, uh, working on whatever you feel like working on. So the background bug hit me. 
the last week. So I've been working on backgrounds like crazy. And, uh, and I love it. I'm, I'm so excited because it doesn't happen very often. And I'm actually finding some joy in doing the backgrounds and it's moving quickly. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the Slack method is uh, working until inspiration hits you and then you get to switch gears. So uh, I'm tackling all the annoying stuff right now and it's not so annoying and uh, I'm moving along. So uh, I also mentioned last week that I was in competition with one of the accidental aliens. I'm trying to jumpstart him into finishing his first comic. And uh, so, so we had the bet, you know, it's just like, okay, let's see who finishes first. Uh, we, he started off at, I believe 10, 10 or 11 pages. I started off at 14. We are dead even now. We're both at 10 pages. Okay. So uh, yeah, man. So I, I've been hustling and uh, it's just been flowing. Yeah. The mojo's, the mojo's going and uh, I'm, I'm staying on this as long as I can. So w what my client wants, I can jump back into at any time because it's character work. It's like character yeah. works, you know, after, after a certain amount of hours, it's, it's, you know, not as difficult as it used to be. And, and, you know, it kind of moves quickly. So it's like, okay, while I can, I'm going to tackle all these, these backgrounds and, and get them out of the way. So there's yeah. another aspect of the week. Interesting. Interesting. Did you have, did you have anything else besides Kickstarter going on? I did. I did. Well, I mean, I had the, the article stuff, which, which actually took up a lot of, oh, yes. uh, a, a fair mm. amount of time because that was, you know, it was a lot of comics to read. And the problem is when, when in my head, I decide, no, Keith, you're going to fucking do this article. Cause the article obviously ended up changing. It changed from, you know, here are some cool comics in your, in your back issue bins to here's one cool comic in your back issue bins, but you better get the issues right. Um, and of course, in my head, I'd committed to reading these things. And it was the first time in a while where reading comics wasn't super fun. But, uh, you know, this is this is the perils of signing yourself up to, to review stuff sometimes. And uh, and yeah, that's me and my brilliant ideas. Right. But um, <laughs> I did I did have one pretty interesting thing it actually it was two things in the exact same wheelhouse and i'll kind of give the examples well i'll give the upfront headline first i guess which is the power of using rewriting and just changing your writing um to get stuff done and and so example number one is that eric the letterer um, ha was was getting back to me on some stuff i did in kadoja issue three and something to know about kadoja is that I tend to use the news feed as a transition mechanism, right? Because Kadoja is a story told with basically two different sets of characters. There's a military group of characters that is on the hunt, kind of on the trail, trying to figure out Kadoja, trying to stop Kadoja. And then there is a group of people that are studying this, you know, massive Lovecraftian monsters rising from the earth thing. And so what I do is I like using the mechanism of news footage and a newscaster watching the giant monsters fight or breaking in with any, quote, breaking news. And then just kind of zooming in, going, going into the TV, zooming out into the room of group one, going into the live thing, zooming out of the TV back in group two. I just I like that device as a neat device to use for my transitions and mm -hmm. What I had done without knowing it is I had had a period, uh, a little a little run there where I had action on the TV that was being narrated by a newscaster. And then when I pulled out, you know, or there, it was live and then uh, with with the newscaster voicing over it. And then when you pull back 
from and and this sounds complicated, but it's the kind of stuff that comic readers just in, in, intuitively do, you know. And, and and hopefully that's because I'm doing it decently. But what happened was when people, um, when you pull out on the TV and and now the characters are talking, I I had the characters talking over the television. That created a really bad like disembodied voice problem. Okay. Something something that I do every now and then, in fact, it, it figures prominently into animals, is that characters not on the panel are talking. What I've learned, at least what I think with that is, you differentiate that through the color of the dialogue balloons. That's how you can differentiate two people that are off screen of, of whatever you're looking at and have them go, right? But I had two people off screen over a voice news feed and it was just bonkers and it really created a problem for the letterer so he was like and, well and kadoja is a black and white book so it's yeah just like exactly with animals you have the benefit of using the color balloons or, or whatever exactly yeah exactly that's a good it's a great point and so um and so uh, eric came back and said you know i think we're gonna have to redo some panels you know why redo panels when i can just redo the dialogue so what I did was I ended up conveying the exact same information, but in a different way. And I just gave the heavy lifting to the newscaster, basically. And then when I pulled back and I was there, so it, I think it works a lot cleaner. And uh, and I did get the fix back based on my revised script. And it, I think it worked out pretty That's good, man. Yeah, that was, that was thing number one. And then I had a similar thing from Will where... He um he had a he had a cool panel that he had drawn and I think I I share this panel on Kadoja Kaiju on Instagram and it, it's a part where Kadoja has just um kind of uh, done a done a bit of a kill shot on I'm not going to give away the kill shot because I think it's really cool on on a on a baddie and uh, and he's holding up the skull like Hamlet and the issue is that there was a there's a issue of size with the skull versus what it looks like and what the next, you know, what, what the next monster looks like, etc. So he was struggling a little bit with scale and he was like, what do I do? I don't really want to redraw this. I don't really want to redraw that. And I'm like, well, look, I can, I can just put like a line or two of dialogue in from the newscaster and just have him say, here's this new monster. And it's, it's even bigger than the one before. Right. And then that simple. Did you one, uh, post that two, today or? Uh, I think it's about five to... or six posts old. I think it's about five oh, okay. or six posts old. Yeah, I was trying to look for it. I was like, where is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can, I can yeah, probably sorry, it. Oh, there it is. Yeah, see it. Yeah, you see it, right? Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. That, again, it, it's pretty interesting the way that that works. Yeah, it's um, it's almost two week, uh, a week old. It's the February 21st uh, 11. post. Yeah, February yeah, 21st down. post. So, um, so yeah, anyway, um, again, I, I just like both of those examples because both of them show that if you're just a little bit flexible in how you think about your writing and you don't treat any writing in stone, you go from there and, and and you can make it work. And I think you've had similar examples to that where you did something and Ed was like, well, no, that's not right. And you're like, no, you're not right. <laughs> because yeah, right. I, I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was from issue one and he named the diner uh, one name and I hand, I hand lettered uh, Mel's diner. Because of the old TV show, right? Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. So I put Mel's Diner, and, and he said, hey, uh, I said the diner is this, and you wrote that. I was like, yeah, we can scra- uh, change your, uh, we can change the type faster than I can redraw the lettering. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and change the name of the restaurant. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, just just, just Yeah, so change. it's good, good, good on you, by the way, too. It's just like, all right, well, you're going to have your artist redraw the panel, or 
what's the workaround? What can we do here to convey the same amount of information without having anyone to do any extra work? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, when when people get the final thing, um, if if you heard this, now you can kind of look at that with a new fresh set of eyes. But again, to me, it's, you know, I don't really have I mean, I have ego about some things in the story, but but not much. And I definitely don't have ego about writing, you know, changing some kind of writing of a script to make it all flow better and make it make way more sense. Because in both cases, these guys were coming to me saying, this doesn't make sense as is. How do we make it more sense? And uh, and I'm, I'm not sure either of them even considered me rewriting. So I, I, I like to think that when I did that, it kind of like, you know, made them think or made them realize, oh, he's willing to rewrite stuff. That That is a lot easier. Yeah, and there's something about flexing your your comic solving problems you know it's just like okay what's what's the best way to tackle this how can i do this in just the writing you know yeah and and that's got to be that's got to be kind of fun for you too at the same time yeah uh, exactly and and you you mentioned kind of casually a a line and one of the adages that somebody said i don't know who about writing but like writing is problem solving that's what that's it you know you're Mm. you're just going to set about uh, solving a series of problems. So anyway, that was I, I did I did a couple other things this week, but I wanted to keep it to some things that have a little bit of a you know a kind of a craft benefit or at least a behind the scenes thing. So yeah, man, that was pretty much my week. Pretty much my week. Nice. Um, I did I did get something. This is something I love doing, and uh, honestly, I didn't do it enough at the beginning of this series. And I think, well, discovering my current printer. Uh, it made this more possible. So, I've been I've been averaging about three covers for each of the last three issues that I've done, and because uh, I'll because I basically do Kickstarters for each of my individual issues now. Uh, for whatever reason, for the second shift, like all the way up until issue nine, I wasn't doing a Kickstarter for every single issue. It was like every other issue or every fourth issue, something like that. Um, and then I was like, wait, what am I doing? I should just do a Kickstarter for all of them and, uh, you know, let people pre-order it that way. And, uh, you know, it gets the numbers up and uh, at the same time with this new printer, I'm able to have multiple covers. It's like, well, I could do a Kickstarter exclusive cover. I can have like a Kickstarter higher tier or just a higher tier cover. You know, it's like on special paper or whatever. And, uh, so I've been, I've been doing that for the last couple of issues and I really like to get ahead of it. So, you know, like as dealing with this uh, one for Second Shift 11, the one shot uh, Drawtober issue, um, I, I found I finally got Eddie to do a cover, but it was really late in the game. And mm-hmm. so that's that's no one's fault, really. But I should have had covers on the ready prior to that. And I didn't. So. Um, I, I like to remedy that. I like to have covers well ahead of time. Like I had just, just did the Wanderers number two, and I had two or three different covers: my cover and uh, two guest artists. And I had those a year in advance, mm. so I had those well before the Kickstarter. And so when it came to getting it done, uh, boom, I had them colored and they're ready to roll. So, um, and I'm learning my mistake with with this last one. It's like you know what? It's best to have the you know the next one's coming already um in the tank and so i do have one i have my regular cover i have one artist guest cover and i just secured the second artist uh cover today and this guy's yeah man i'm i'm psyched i actually backed this guy's kickstarter project a year or two ago um him and the writer they've done multiple 
multiple Kickstarters and I back the very first one. So I have the first issue of, of their indie book and um, I'll reveal it later on once it gets closer to, to the project uh, release date. And, but he has this nice Mike Mignola style mm-hmm. and it's just perfect. It's perfect for the storyline going on right now in the second shift. It's very creepy and uh, so it's it's going to go really well. So I, I secured him today. Um, and nice. yeah, it was kind of funny because I found him I found him on uh, via Kickstarter on Twitter. And I went to him like, okay, cool. He doesn't have, you know, that many followers. He's like this, this up and coming guy. He has a nice style. And uh, after we talked about the cover and everything and, uh, you know, kind of agreed, agreed to move forward, uh, very reasonable price. Uh, I ended up finding him on Instagram and he has like 16,000 followers. I was like, oh shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So he's a little more popular than I thought. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of psyched about that. I was like, right on, man. Yeah, I got Very one. Cool. I got one locked in. So so it's always interesting. And I also talked to him about owning the art. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure his art looks very, it looks like it could be digital. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he was like, no, I do traditional pencil and ink. And then I, I digitally color. Okay. And so, yeah. So we arranged for me to also get the original art for that cover. So I'm super nice. psyched about it. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So that, I guess that seems like it wraps up our week. Um, did we yeah. want to do part two of Gary Yap's email real quick? At least the second part that we wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah Cause do what it. we had done is we had, we had talked about influences and the way mm-hmm. that I just naturally broke it up was formative and then adult. And so we had left off on both of our formatives. And then I think you were just gonna, you can get started with your adult. I believe you had mentioned kind of in an off, uh, off record episode, uh, text or something like that, that you were going to talk about invincible for sure. And then I wasn't sure what else you might have to go first because I'm going to need a refresher because I have been drinking this really strong beer and we had not talked about finishing Gary's email, which I should have known because we did okay. mention it the last episode, but I completely spaced. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this beer is strong, man. This beer is strong, and it's delicious. It'd be hidden. It, so, it'd uh, so be yeah, what, what happened was, actually, I might as well just go all the way inside baseball here, Scott. You started to talk about your adult years, and then we ended up erasing those five or six minutes of audio with the vow that we were going to revisit it this week. So. Yeah. So that's what we're going to go ahead and do. And I will go first. The other or, you know, late teenager adult, there are some other influences there. And um, and so I've already mentioned one in the course of this podcast, actually, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which much like Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen is just a different level of storytelling for comics, or at least was at the time. And uh, and really, again, kind of had that whole this is what comics can be. The importance of Neil Gaiman's storytelling style to me at that age, even as a young adult, is huge. Because to me, Neil Gaiman has this kind of style where the loop doesn't necessarily close. You know, you kind of have a character and and you think that that character is forming an arc and that, you know, if you're picturing it as like an actual picture, there there is a full circle nature, there's a closure nature to the way a lot of stories happen. And what I liked about Neil Gaiman's style is it really kind of meanders into some brand new place. And so you get closure, but you didn't get the kind of closure you thought. 
And I thought that was really interesting. And I think a lot of people do it now, but at the time it seemed pretty new to me. And for all I know, people did it in 1910 or or 1755. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. that was, he was one who really opened my eyes to that type of storytelling where it, it, it ends, but it doesn't end in, in quite the way that you ever could have guessed, you know? And, um, and then there were, so in addition to Neil Gaiman, there were three other comics that, as I was racking my brain, had, had a big influence on me. And um, the first one is Sin City, which I've talked about before. I mean, I do think, I, I, I'm almost scared to read Sin City now because I think if I read it now, it would just be like misogynistic and horrible. Um, because I know when I watched <laughs> when I watched the movie, I was like, this is misogynistic and horrible. How did I like this? You know, but um the its use of art of just pure blacks and whites was so cool to me. I just think that is one of the coolest things that ever hit my head, you know, where Frank Miller was just using pure black and white. There, there wasn't any shading. It was just a use of black and white. And I thought that was so cool the way he did that. So that was, that was since, yeah, that was, and and I will say that still holds up, man. I, um, I was okay. So real quick, um, when I was doing the draw Tober thing, the whole intention was it for was for it to be a silent full full splash page issue just like the the issue of sin city silent night where he gets yeah. the where marv gets the little girl and uh you know through the snow and this and that and so i i went back and i checked that issue out again and man that stuff still holds up so beautiful Okay, well, that is that is is pretty well stocked at the book off near me. So when I go back and grab that Alan Moore, I might grab a whole a little run of Sin City graphic novels too. Oh, but again, I'm 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 fine with graphic novels. So that was number one, and then number two was um, and and again, I've mentioned this before as well. It it didn't necessarily okay. So these next two, the way they influenced me is is that they were both really killer stories, and they were both indie as fuck. Right. And more importantly to me, the creators really took time in the back pages to express themselves. And the first one I'm talking about here is Infinite Kung Fu. So I've talked about Infinite Kung Fu before. I recommended it. It is my favorite comic of all time. In fact, um, Ed texted me through the week and mentioned that he picked up Infinite Kung Fu. And so I was Hell really yeah. happy for that. So um, I'm, I'm happy for that. I love Infinite Kung Fu. Anybody who, who any additional reader is welcome. But since I have the single issues when it was, you know, it never really finished. Um, at the end of every issue, Kagan would take time to do like, I mean, he took four pages at the end to do like Kung Fu movie reviews. And, and he would do it in like, like he would do it as percentages of Gordon Liu's head. You know, or he would do Gordon Liu would mean the film was dope. And then he'd pick some whack ass actor if it was like a whack ass movie. So you could tell by the face that he drew whether the movie was good or bad in his opinion. Oh, that's amazing. And he also, I mean, he he did one storyline involving the Eight Immortals, which is, um, from what I understand, a really strong legend in Chinese folklore. And he took two pages to explain all of the Eight Immortals. He did that kind of shit in the back of every episode, and it's a bummer because I don't think any of that stuff made the trade. But it was so much fun, man! It was so cool. Oh, and that's and that's the the beauty and the benefit of picking up single issues because yeah, uh, if you pick up the trade of the second shift one through five, the first volume, you don't get any of the pinups 
that I put in the first five issues. I did some process work in the end of the or issue five. And so there, there's all these extras that you can get from, from certain creators' single issues. That's the benefit of double dipping. You know, yeah. once in a while, it's it's the other way. Sometimes you'll get, you'll pick up the single issues and you're like, yeah, these were great. And they're like, hey, I got a trade paperback coming out. And it's like, well, but I already own all the single issues. Well, guess what you don't have? Yeah. All this back matter shit, um, exactly. all these con- this concept art, um, you know, all that fresh shit you just talked about. Man, that, that stuff's great. And um, do you got one more? Do you have more? a couple more one coming? Because I want to talk about your first two. Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll let I have, you go. I have one more, I'll, but I'll, I'll be hop quick. back. And that is okay. that is uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis's book, aka Goldfish, which was a huge influence on me. Again, for the same exact reason, right? So again, Brian Michael Bendis, from my understanding, wrote aka Goldfish. This was way pre-fame. He was just grinding on the indie circuit, and he drew it too. And what I remember is he actually took photographs and then just sketched over them in a very minimal style, similar to Sin City, actually. And his dialogue was kind of you know, hard-boiled and quippy a la Tarantino at the time. But of course, these days in comics, people say a la Bendis. And um, he also, he had an enormous letters page at the end of all the AKA Goldfish issues. It was at least four pages where he would answer all kinds of letters. He'd talk about music that he liked. He ranked crime films. He did all kinds of dope shit. And even talking about this tells me that when Kadoja Volume 4 goes to singles, I might do some of that because I love it so much. And oh, and, and in the past, I have been a bit um, outvoted by people because Kadoja has been a multi-person project. It's been Keith, Lance, mm-hmm. and Rory. When you look at almost any cover of Kadoja, you're going to see Pilgrim, Smith, Foster. And that's because we co-created Kadoja, and, and I like to bring that up. It's like that's kind of our, our creation. But that said, if we get to issue four then, you know, I'm not really outvoted anymore. So I might put some fun stuff at the end where it's just, you know, goofy stuff like that. Stuff where you feel like you get to know the person who wrote it a little bit more and have some fun at the same time. And, oh, um, dude, you, yeah. uh, man, I would have, I would been like, sorry guys, I'm putting this at the end of the book. It's how it is, you know, <laughs> it's it just, it's just how it goes sometimes. And um, those, those little fun things that these creators are doing at the, the, the back of their issues Man, that shit's great. Um, I just yeah. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Savage Dragon and how all of the cool shit, like the letters page that Savage Dragon, like Eric would would put anything in there. Yeah, you know, and he would answer as honest as possible. And and if anyone pays attention to Eric Larson in the comic scene, he's a very honest person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he 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 doesn't sugarcoat shit. And I've done stuff like that as well. And and like I had mentioned, I have pinups. And a back cover, uh, back cover art that wasn't collected in the trade. It will be collected in the hardcover. Like all that shit will be in the hardcover. But I've also done um, uh, comic strips. Like uh, I p- talked about previously, one of my Kickstarter backers, longtime backer Patrick Patrick Arnold. He's the comic store owner in the book. He's he backed that that tier, and I was like, hey man, you've backed my comics so many times you're just going to be a continuous character i'm just making you an ongoing character you own the comic store and so um there was a couple of issues where i was like hey you know what i haven't drawn pa- uh, patrick in a couple of issues because the last couple of issues uh four and five it's like wrapping up a a storyline so it's like well i have nowhere to get him in mm-hmm. so i drew a cartoon a comic strip 
and put that in the back of one of the issues. Nice. And it was just something fun to do. And it's like, hey, man, I, I just want to reward you for uh, always backing my stuff. And I, just to let you know, I didn't forget about you. How can I fit him in? Yeah, I could draw a comic strip. That'll be fun. That's always a fun style to draw in. And it was just like mm -hmm. a quick joke about um, Leia and Luke kissing, you know. And, and it was just it was a thing. Uh, so there's your Star Wars reference for the episode. Oh, and and I, I was I wasn't gonna do it. We went we went the entire last episode without one, and I wanted to go like a month without it. No, it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna happen. We broke the seal. We broke the seal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So go ahead, man. So what about you? What were some of your um, adult influences? So I actually still want to talk about yours, and I actually want to save mine for next episode. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because we're we're already hitting a pretty sweet time amount here. Absolutely. So I, I checked that when you started rolling. I was like, you know what? I want to talk about yours more. And uh, so no need to cut mine short and, and we can stretch it out. So Gary Yap, you're going to be getting the Gary Yap uh, uh, the Gary questionnaire. Yap quest. Exactly. To written yeah. by Tolkien. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> we'll be uh, wandering to Mordor. Uh, <laughs> we're going to work for many episodes. Instead of just flying on those birds. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, okay. So Gaiman. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, and, and, and I've hinted at this before, and so if you guys aren't, you know, uh, pro wrestling fans and know, know my work from there, like, okay, so I did pro wrestling for 10 years or whatever. At a certain point, it was, I figured out the matrix on the configuration of a match. Um, and it was something, you know, it's something you're trained for when you start wrestling. It's like, okay, this is the basic construct of a match. Yeah. And over time, you're supposed to develop out of it. Like, it's just to let you know, this is how a match is constructed, why th these things happen, and these are why these things happen, right? So, that that's the same with comic book making, and, I, and I'm still trying to get there. I'm not 100% there. I think this point in my comics career, I'm not exactly where I ended with my wrestling career, and I'd love to get there. So, the construct of a comic book... Um, you know, it, it's the same like in in writing class, right? They got the three act structure and structure yep. and this and that. You beat me to so, it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. So there, at some point, you have to understand that structure to where you can deconstruct it. Yeah. Why? Okay. Why does it work? Why are you doing these things? That's what you're taught, right? Well, what will happen if you took the last act and you put it in the beginning? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, uh, so on and so forth. So you. You, you can do that um, once you figure shit out. If you do it before then, you're probably going to come up with a mess. So, yeah. um, And I think that's where Gaiman opened your eyes a bit. Was just yeah. like, wait, what? You can just do this? This isn't in the steps. This is yeah. like, there's a seven-step thing, and this isn't part of the seven steps. Like, how? what part is this? Well... Well, you understand what part it is. You just you, you're just unfamiliar with the structure, the order, and he is. He's yep. so familiar with it that he can take it apart and rearrange it. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's just I I love I love that aspect of learning a craft. Yep. You know, and, and all that all of us as in, indie creators, it's like we're all in different areas of, of knowledge, and and so exploring that part of it is really fun. And I I feel like I'm in a different part of my comics creating journey it's like okay I, I do understand the basic structure and and you know layouts and this and that and uh that's something i've talked about messing with recently is is how pages are laid out it's like okay i understand how they're laid out now and you know the page turn in this and that so 
and that's something I'll go into with uh, current modern modern uh, influences for me, um, how how that stuff's affected. But I'll, I'll leave it nice. at that uh, since since we're running a bit long right now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. that makes sense. And I'll, and I'll save and I'll save my comments for that because I have some comments on structure too. So I'll save those for next week. So um, perfect. So given that, um, when it comes to websites, you can find me at keithrfoster.com. And if you have some interest in Kadoja, there's keithrfoster.com slash Kadoja. I have a little bit on Kadoja there as well as a store. And if you're listening to this early on the 15th, you can just look up Kadoja Volume 3 Kickstarter because it is ending today as this airs. Do you also put like your your review from iHorror? Is there a link there on your website and it'll yeah. redirect mm-hmm. you to that site? Perfect. That's oh. correct. Whenever you go to KeithRFoster.com, I kind of keep an act uh, the best I can do with an active blog. And anytime an article goes up on iHorror, I have a nice link there on KeithRFoster.com. That's perfect. And you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com. I do The Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, uh, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, uh, What Happens When Humans Start Colonizing Other Planets and Come Across the Planet Melisanda, Where the Dinosaurs of That World Have Survived and Evolved, So Two Dominant Species Trying to Coexist, what will happen? Spoiler alert, it never goes well. And yeah, <laughs> AccidentalAliens.com, you could find those there. Nice, nice. And then in terms of social media, you can find me at at Kadoja Kaiju, which is all things Kadoja. And that's updated pretty much daily these days. And then I'm also at Keith underscore Decibel, which is really all things Keith that aren't necessarily Kadoja, though there is some overlap. And you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Twitter, I will post a little bit more. Uh, random thoughts uh, throughout the day, what shows I'm watching, like The 100 and the characters that are infuriating, uh, whereas Instagram, it's usually visual media, um, what's going on with my art, what I'm drawing, uh, maybe what I'm drinking, who knows what my dog's doing, so you could check those out. <laughs> okay, awesome, man. All right, that's uh, that sounds like a week to me, man, so I'll see you next yeah. week. Yeah, and uh, oh, lastly, but not leastly, if yes. you got questions for us, much like Gary Yap, our buddy, uh, you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and we will answer, 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 what the heck? We'll, we, we will, will answer Adams that shit. We will, we will paint Hansel a fucking Adams painting you. of Western. That's what we'll Boom. do. I don't even well, know if Jackson, that's right or if Ansel Adams did it. He may have done photography, but that's what 9.2 does, kids. Goddamn right. Well, Jackson yeah. Pollock, your question all over this podcast. <laughs> you can look we at it. We might even Van Gogh your question. <laughs> That's right. You can uh, send us that at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. What a way to end this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us. Hasta la pasta.